Hey, what not the podcast? It's Pastor Wolfmuller driving home, talking about the mystery of the Holy Blessed Trinity. Here we go. This week's version of the What Not Podcast, Sunday Drive Home. Hey, YouTube theologians. Blessed Holy Trinity, Sunday Drive Home. Ha ha, you guys are already going to be busting my chops that there's no Luther in the back seat. He's in the trunk today because we had all the family in town for graduation this week and Luther got, he'll be back when I think of it. Uh, It's Trinity Sunday today, the octave of Pentecost. So last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and it's one of the three great feasts of the church here. So we keep celebrating. We have eight days of celebration that ends on today. That's also true for Easter, also true for Christmas. Christmas has a decatave, the 12 days of Christmas. So 12 days of feasting, eight days of feasting for Pentecost. And ends with this sublime, holy, most blessed, first chief mystery of the Christian faith. The article of the Holy Trinity. That we worship the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity. Neither confounding the persons or dividing the substance. We uh, Something occurred to me in Sunday school today, we were looking through the liturgy. We're doing a study of the liturgy of the divine service in Sunday school here at St. Paul Lutheran Church. If you're watching this today, you should come and visit and come to Sunday school. It's great. And we were going through the going through the whole liturgy, looking to see where the Holy Trinity is confessed. And there it is at the beginning, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There it is at the end, the Lord bless you and keep you, the ironic benediction. And there it is all the way through the minor doxology and all the canticles, the concluding formula for all the colics, all of the different prayers, the Kyrie, the uh, Benedictus, the, I mean, uh, the the whole, it's just, it's Trinitarian through and through, the creed. And the liturgy protects us from becoming accidental Trinitarians, you know, so most of the evangelical church, all, all of the evangelical church is Trinitarian, but Sometimes you wouldn't even, you'd never know it. And so this really thoroughgoing confession of the Holy Trinity and the liturgy is great. But as we were looking through, I realized how the early part of the service has so many Trinitarian references. And then when you get to the service of the Lord's Supper, it's quite a bit less just the frequency of the mention of the Holy Trinity is quite a bit less. And it occurred to me then that, and I never quite seen this before, but you have the two great mysteries of the faith, the Trinity and the Incarnation. The Trinity is the confession of the three persons and one God. The Incarnation is the confession of the two natures and one person. Jesus is the God-man. And that the Trinity is connected to baptism and the first part of the liturgy, and the Incarnation is confession, con, uh, connected to the Incarnation in the second part of the liturgy. Which is just, I, all those connections I had not made so clearly. So it's true, so just to think through it a little bit with me, if you don't mind, is that the two clearest doctrines of the Trinity are two baptismal texts. The first is the baptism of Jesus. For example, Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is in the water, 
and God the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove. How great is that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's the Father talking about the Son. More on that later. And then the second text is Matthew 28. Where Jesus, standing on the mountain in Galilee, says to his disciples, as you're going around, no, first he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you're going around, disciplificate all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to hold fast to everything that I'm commanding you. And look, I'm, I will remain with you always, even to the end of the age to the end of the eon. So that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that baptismal formula is fantastically Trinitarian. Now, wh why is it that baptism is the... So I was thinking about it like this. Baptism is the Trinitarian sacrament and the Lord's Supper is the Incarnation sacrament. Each of the mysteries is is kind of encapsulated for us and given to us in this way. That also makes sense of why, for example, in the formula of Concord, if you're in a real theological mood, it's always great to read the formula of Concord, especially Article 7, which has to do with the Lord's Supper, and Article 8, which has to do with the person of Christ. That's connecting communion to the Incarnation. Wow. But why that? So, and, and the reason why communion is connected to the, to the Incarnation is kind of, it's kind of obvious. I mean, Jesus is giving us the gift of his body and blood, which is what he took upon himself. According to Psalm 40, quoted in Isaiah 10, uh, flesh and blood, or no, uh, a sacrifice you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. That's how that goes. So God the Father gives Jesus a body so that he's got something to nail to the cross and give to us in the meal. How great is that? But baptism becomes now the, the sacrament of the Trinity because in baptism we're adopted into the family of God, Galatians chapter 2 and 3, so that we're born again of water and the Spirit. There's According to my count, there's three, there's four or five verses that talk about being born again. 1 Peter 1, twice, I think. At least once. 1 Peter 1, at least once. I think it's in there twice. James 1, and that talks about being born again by the seed of the word. And then John 3, 5 and Titus 3, 5. In John 3, 5, 
That was the lesson from today. Even if you're on the one year, even if you're on the three year, that was your lesson today. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Water and the Spirit birth. So, unless you're born from above, that's how that goes. And then in Titus 3, 5, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, half of the rebirth verses are baptism verses and half are word verses. And the point is, it's no different. We're born again by the by the water and the word and that being born again puts us into the family of God so it's not an accident that we're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because that name is given to us in baptism here we are born children of wrath Ephesians 2 children of the devil John 8 and Jesus says you're children of God. John 1, 1 John 3. Behold. Behold. What manner of love. How did that go in the Greek? Behold what kind of love. There's something there in the Greek. I got to look at it. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Now that's something. That is something. So that baptism brings us into this blessed life of holy conversation and sacred gift-giving that is the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, here's your homework. One of the, I think, most fruitful I shouldn't say most fruitful because I I mean, I'm just a baby student of these things and so who knows what... I, I don't think I have wisdom here, so... I, okay, so let me say. A fruitful way to study the Trinity is to consider those passages where God is talking to Himself. So the Father's talking to the Son or the Son's talking to the Father and so forth. And a beautiful... Here's a hack. <laughs> is to look at Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2. So Hebrews 1 is making this argument that Jesus is greater than the angels. And to prove the point, the writer, Paul, or whoever, but Paul, pulls all the Old Testament passages, or a bunch of the Old Testament passages where the Father's talking to the Son. And a bunch of these, maybe it wasn't even obvious that it was the Father talking to the Son. And he just quotes them. Where's my notes? I grab my... So you can see Hebrews, like, chapter 1, verse 5, quotes Psalm 2 and then 2 Samuel 7, and then it quotes Psalm 102, and it quotes Psalm 110, and it quotes Deuteronomy 32, and it says these are all times that the Father was talking to or about the Son. And then, if you look in Hebrews chapter 2, you get at least three places where the Son was talking to the Father. Psalm 22 and... 
other verses? Second Samuel 33 or something? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. It's terrible. So that we have this conversation between the Father and the Son. That's the counsel of God, the heavenly counsel, the heavenly conversation. And the prophets go and listen to it and then they report it. And that's what we have in the scriptures. And, and you see how the conversation goes. Jesus says to God the Father, Behold, the children that, you, that God gave to me. It's an amazing thing to see in Hebrews chapter 1 how God the Father calls Jesus God and Lord. <laughs> now that's something. It's mind-blowing stuff. Just mind-blowing. <laughs> so Jesus says, here's the children you gave me. I haven't lost any of them. And so, so here's how it goes. So God the Father says to the Son, I love you. And so I'm going to give you all these people. Here's your, here's your church. And Jesus looks at God the Father and he says, I love you. Here are all the children back. So that amongst all the gifts that God the Father and God the Son are giving to each other, we find ourselves. <laughs> what kind of gift is that? Who would want us? Sheesh. And Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit say, we, we do. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> So Hebrews 1 and 2, that's your homework. <laughs> God be praised. Sunday drive home. <laughs>